0: I'm going to start reading, again, two verses in chapter 20. It is even critical for what we're driving at here. This is, again, a continuation from, I started this message, uh, of course, it was actually, was it, two, was it last week or two weeks ago, whenever, um, can't, uh, yeah, I think it was last Sunday, <clears throat> and this is a continuation. So, to set the context of what's taking place here, 23 and 24 of Acts chapter 20, he said, "'Save the Holy Ghost.'" "...witnesseth witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> so that I may finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God." Then in chap- chapter 21, um, this is Paul again concluding his third missionary journey. He is traveling and uh, um, he, he, he departs uh, from uh, uh, there from all the elders in Ephesus where he met with them. Uh, as he was heading back, coming back to Jerusalem, he's taking the offering up from the, uh, the, from the churches over there in Europe. Uh, from Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, uh, Corinth. And so he's on his way back, including his third missionary journey. He says, and it came to pass after, <coughs> excuse me, we were gotten from them and and had launched. We came with a straight course unto Coaz, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera. And finding the ships sailing unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden, and finding disciples we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. When we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, uh, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children, till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Just what a what a beautiful scene that is right there. When we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. We had finished our course from Tyre, we came unto Ptolemaeus, and saluted the brethren, and abode with them one day. The next day, uh, we that were of Paul's company departed, and came unto Caesarea. We entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles." And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. Let's go ahead and stop right there. (coughs) Excuse me. Father in heaven, I pray that you bless today. I pray that you work in the service here this morning. I pray that you be glorified and honored in all that is said and done. Help me to stay true to your word. And Lord, I pray your spirit would have free course. Lord, that it worked, work, that it would convict and, and, and draw us closer to you. And Lord, that you would meet the needs that are here. Lord, I do pray especially if there's anyone here that has never truly been converted, I pray for the conviction and drawing unto Christ as Savior, that even, that even Lord, this morning they repent and place their faith in Christ. Again, Lord, may you be glorified, I pray, and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, so we began this message um, last week. And uh, we see Paul is traveling um, on his way back to Jerusalem, and and we conclude this when he's heading out to actually walk right into Jerusalem. And uh, uh, the, the greatest thing that any of us could ever accomplish in life is the will of God. That when our days are done, whenever, whenever that time comes, when my appointed time comes, that hopefully I, I can be able to say, as Paul did, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. But truthfully, how many of us are actually going to be able to say that? How many of us are going to be able to get to the place where we can say, I have finished God's will? Now listen to me, every single one of us in here has breath right now. All right. We have something, that all of us, that God wants us to accomplish the rest of our days. Sometimes you have to forget those things that are behind and press forward. Don't live in the past right now. If something has in the past distracted you from the will of God, get back on course. Get back on course. Whether you're Bob at 82, 83 years old, how, how old are you? You don't even know. Yeah. I'm going to be nice. I'm I mean. It's rare that I'm nice to Bob, but uh, I'll try. But it doesn't matter how many days you have left. You have something that God wants you to accomplish. All right. And so within our text right now, we have some things that are so important if you're actually going to finish God's will. Because when it comes to any task, you have to determine, All right. when do I get started? How much is this going to cost? Um, what is this going to take to get done? The same thing is very true of the will of God. In trying to determine, okay, Lord, I know what you have for me to do. What do I need to do to get it done? And in this text, boy, we have some very important things that will help us in finishing God's will for our life. These things are so important. Um, I mean, and, and listen, the will of God is something that, it's, it's not in the future. Tomorrow morning when you get up, you determine, I'm going to do the will of God today. When I get up when that alarm goes off on Monday morning I'm going to start off right Lord what would you have me to do And again as I mentioned last week I know a good nudging is going to give you really quick Get that Bible open it Then get on your knees pray Then once you're done Lord again what would you have me to do Within our text There's three things we see here that are critical if you are going to complete God's will. Even things that came up this week from others that I believe got distracted from God's will that I read about. Just fitting just perfectly with this text. We only looked at the first one last week and that was having a measure of direction with conviction. That when it comes to God's will, you have in that clear direction with conviction. There's three things... If you, want to, if you didn't write them down last week. Direction with conviction we're going to, that I looked at last week. Today, we're going to look at the last two. Determination through diversion. And three, disposed in all areas to pay the cost. Ready to pay the cost. As I mentioned last week, we looked at the importance of direction with conviction. The reason why I read verse 23 and 24 of chapter 20 is so you can see Paul's heart. Paul knew He knew what the will of the Lord was in relation to the task. He had been accomplishing. We could have went back earlier to the direction from the Lord that led him when he was finishing up in Ephesus and he went back, back into Europe to go to the churches from the second missionary journey to raise the offering for the saints that were suffering in Jerusalem to bring them back. Remember, as he's traveling, he's actually grabbing an individual from each area to bring with him to Jerusalem. There's so much to this, not only for the unifying, so we don't have two different types of churches getting established in the first century. Jewish and Gentile. He, he 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 sees the importance of it being of being one. And so there, there's so much to this that is taking place, and we see Paul's leading and 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 uh, 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 the the direction that he has. And because he because he knows this is the will of God, it is coming with conviction. Listen to this statement. This is very true. You will do very little for the Lord without conviction in your direction. Without knowing this is what the Lord would have. What we see here in the life of Paul, in his determination to go to Jerusalem, that direction, he has a serious measure of conviction to go with it. When that takes place, Remember what I brought up last time. Something will come right with it, and that is courage. When you have that conviction in regards to God's direction in your life, it will bring courage. And I gave you the Bible examples. We're not going to turn there this week for it. We looked at the different examples in Scripture that we see over and over again of those who had conviction with direction and how it brought courage. The spies. Two of them had direction with conviction. That this is of God. Ten did not. So we looked at several examples. And then as we finished the point last week, I stressed this, that with direction then comes a goal, a purpose. Alright? And how many times the attack takes place in our life where we get settled on a wrong goal or wrong purpose. You know, objective, like you might have, you want to grow in your Christian faith. That's right. That's God's will for your life. You should have direction with conviction. But keep the goal right. All right? For instance, you might say, well, I, I'm gonna, my goal is to not miss church. Listen, you should not miss church, but that's not the goal. Do you understand? That's not, the goal is God. The goal is not church. It's God. You have to have the right goal because when the battles come, if that goal isn't right, you'll go by the wayside. Or know what you're going to find? You're going to find problems in the church. You're going to get discouraged. But you never will with God. Stay, have the right goal. We talked about that, how God is the goal in His will. It's It's not a position was that not Judas Iscariot's problem? Remember why he followed Christ? All of them thought the kingdom was coming now. All of them, not just Judas. But the others were all about God, not about a position. Judas, when he realized, wait, this guy's not setting up the kingdom. He betrayed him. Don't use God for your will. That's not what Romans 12.1 is all about. So, let's pick it up today now, with the second point of this message. So, we see, first off, Paul had direction with conviction. It brought with it courage. Secondly, in our text, we see determination through diversion. As you go about to accomplish God's purpose for your life, God's will for your life, diversions and distractions and discouragements will come. It will happen every single time. There will be battles, there will be fights that take place. You're going to need to be able to persevere if you're going to stay on course through all the diversions, through the distractions, through the discouragements. You can tell how deep a man's conviction is by how fast you can get him off track. What does it take to... You, you think this is God's will? Let's see how quick we can get you off track. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of this in Scripture. John Mark. He heads out on the very first missionary journey. He has direction, but it's not with conviction. And that becomes evident when discouragement sets in. When distraction comes. And he goes back. Because his conviction was weak, it did not come with courage. In our text, we have two direct times that a diversion comes to the Apostle Paul. A distraction, a a discouragement trying to come. Trying to prevent him from accomplishing the will of God. Really, there's three, but there's two primary. The first verse, I want you to notice something about the first verse we read. Because there's really a, a, a measure of, 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 of distraction or diversion, even in the first verse. It says this, in verse of chapter 21. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them. Now, I did not know this before studying this text out. But the wording that is used there, uh, that, that those two words in English, gotten, or three, gotten from them. Whew. Man, studying that out, strong right there. This this was Paul. Uh, I'm dealing with a, a measure of distraction. Uh, it was it dealt with. Uh, let me find it here. The the word means to tear away. In other words, what it's saying is it was difficult for Paul to leave them. They're weeping on him. They saw the affection that they had for them. But Paul did not let that affection he had for them override what he talked about in Colossians chapter three and verse one and two. To set your affection on things above. He had to tear himself away from them. But that's not, the, of course, the main distractions that come at all. It was simply difficult to leave them. The first diversion comes in our text in Tyre. Paul found believers there, as we read. And uh, it says, he landed at in verse 3, so he lands there at Tyre and finding disciples, we tarried there seven days who said to Paul, through the Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So now we have the first diversion that is taking place here. Paul again finds that believers are there. The start of this church would be interesting. We see it going back to Acts chapter 11. It was, it was founded by some of those who fled Jerusalem after Stephen was martyred, which of course the apostle Paul was, the, was Saul at the time leading that persecution. So while he's there, though, fellowshipping with him, the the members said there that he should not go up to Jerusalem, and that this came, the Bible says, through the Spirit. So the question now comes in, did Paul disobey the will of God? Was the Holy Spirit, in fact, telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem? If he did, and he went anyway... Paul was directly disobedient to the will of God. So the question is, was Paul disobedient? Did he make a mistake in going to Jerusalem? There are those, and many who are good men, who believe that Paul did in fact disobey based on this verse that Paul was disobedient. I understand that. And uh, I, I see why they come that, to that conclusion. I completely disagree with that conclusion. And, I, and I'm going to elaborate as to why I believe that. I think we clearly see that Paul is in the will of God. But let's just say for sake of argument here, something I want to point that Paul was disobedient. Let's look at that for a second. If it was a mistake, it was out of a desire to please God. I mean, if you've got to make a mistake, that's not a bad one to make. You shouldn't make it. But it means this, though. He would be human like all of us. Which he was. He was flesh just like all of us. We can see throughout Scripture all those who have made mistakes. Peter denying the Lord. Thomas doubting. Noah after the flood. Abraham. Denying his wife. And we can go on and on throughout all of Scripture. If, if he was disobedient, again, there's some good people that believe that Paul was disobedient, that he should not went up to Jerusalem. Some of them get crazy under conclusions that he had a, a victim mentality, wanting, wanting to be martyred. That, that wasn't it at all. And anyhow, I, I, I'm hoping to persuade you all that he was in no way um, out of the will of God. I think it's clear in the text, and, and, and we have answers to the wording of what takes place in that verse. So I do not believe. Let me look, let's look at why. First off, it's why I read verse 24. Verse 23 and 24 are discussing, are talking about the very action that Paul is taking right now in going to Jerusalem. And Paul says this, that I have received of the Lord Jesus. This is something, he's saying, listen, what I am doing here, what is taking place here, I know is of God. He believed this was in God's direction. This is what the Lord would have him to do. Again, with with direction you need that conviction because it's what's going to allow you to finish it so that you don't get off course. Paul knew this was the Lord's will. Two, the prophecies that have been given, all of them, remember what it says, this is not the first time Paul has heard about suffering in Jerusalem. He already, remember, he already brought that up in verse 23. Since he started this, when he's traveling, going back into Macedonia, going back into Europe, into those churches, into Achaia, it has been told him over and over that he's going to suffer. Paul realized that. That's already been taking place. That he would suffer, that he'd be bound. We see that in chapter 20. The Holy Ghost was directing that. It was all of the Spirit of God. We're going to see it later on when he goes when he heads down to uh, um, Caesarea. Once again, there's going to be a prophet there. gives the same prophecy that Paul talked about in chapter 20. You're going to abound and you're going to suffer. Now, in all those places, in all those places, all the believers told Paul, well, then don't go. Then don't go. But the prophecy that was given in 23, that's given here, that was in all the cities, was simply that he would suffer. And then with that, the believers then said, don't go. So what makes more sense is the consistency that we see throughout all the other prophecies taking place is that the Spirit was simply uh, um, uh, relaying to the believers, this man's going to suffer, pray for him. But the believers, out of love and concern for the Apostle Paul, I mean, they know by this time... How God is using this man. They're telling him, don't go. Thirdly, his life was lived in this sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit. It's hard for me to grasp that in the midst of this, all of a sudden he gets carnal. So. The consistency that we see in all the places was the prophecy that was given is that you're going to suffer. And the believers followed up with, don't go. Paul, as we see though, he stayed on course. He did not get distracted. He did not let fear take over. Even the believers there, they end up walking with them. The wives and the children all the way to the boat and then they just drop down and pray together. Again, such a beautiful scene right there. Uh, Again, the first diversion come with these believers. Don't go, don't do it. But Paul knows, no, this is of the Lord. Chapter 20, the Lord Jesus gave me this to accomplish. I know I'm going to suffer. I know it's going to be difficult. Uh, The Lord has let me know what is coming. Not just here, I've already, what did he say earlier? In every city, (laughs) the Lord had somebody to tell him, you're going to suffer. This isn't going to be easy. Paul leaves there and he comes to Caesarea. Now, let's read these verses again here because there's a few rabbits I'm going to have to chase here. Verse 8 says, In the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. All right, let's stop there. Let's deal with these couple of verses right here. So Paul leaves Tyre. He comes down to Caesarea. Now when he gets there, I want you to think about this. He stays at the house of Philip, one of the seven. I'm sure you know what that's referring to, one of the seven original deacons. All right, think what's taking place here. In Caesarea, when the Apostle Paul comes and stays in his house. One of Philip's best friends was a man named Stephen. Who, this man Paul, was the one who gave the permission for his death. And now Paul and Philip, as far as we know, this is... One of their first meetings, right? It could have been at Jerusalem. It's possible. But at least as far as staying together, right here. What a work of the grace of God. I mean, think of this meeting. Paul giving the permission for the death of Stephen, the friend of Philip. It was Paul who also caused Philip fleeing into Samaria, which led to other great events in Scripture taking place. It's always amazing to see what the grace of God brings together. I think they had amazing fellowship. I think they talked about Stephen. I think Paul told them, just like we went over, we went through that, how I believe it was Stephen's preaching. Because like it said, no man can argue with That man with Scripture was incredible at showing who the Lord Jesus Christ was. To where even Paul, when he was in his presence, could not, the Bible says, argue with him. I mean, it was his preaching that haunted him. So you could just imagine, as they talked about Philip preaching and reminiscing over it, hearing a man preach with such conviction. How it led to Saul's conversion and what he's doing now. Again, amazing what the grace of God can do in his life. And then we also have this, this man has four daughters which did prophesy. So let me chase this a little bit and deal with this text. These are unmarried women, thus the, the word virgin that is used. And as a result, we know from the New Testament can concentrate on things of the Lord. Being unmarried in many ways gives advantages to them, being much more involved in direct ministry. Look over in First Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 34 says, there is a difference also, and Paul was dealing with a specific issue here in Corinth. When we go through the book of Corinth, we'll cover that then. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married cared for things of the world, how she may please her husband. Uh, The whole point there is that that the unmarried can devote their ministry time to that of the Lord, to seeking what God would have, where, where once the woman gets married, her ministry now becomes the husband. And has to devote that. Now her attention and her efforts go to that ministry that God has given her within marriage to the husband. But while unmarried, as it says here, She may be holy both in body and in spirit, concentrating on, on things of the Lord. And the truth is obviously throughout the word of God, God has used women throughout. So with how even our verse reads, and with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we can see that these women were set aside by God for a particular kind of ministry. It says that they did prophesy. Now as we know, prophesy has two aspects to it. Uh, foretelling and forthtelling. Alright? One is that, the gift of preaching, if you will, the forthtelling, but there was also foretelling. And that part would still be in existence right now. It's not finished yet, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because the Bible isn't complete yet. It's not complete yet. So that's still in play. Now we know it can't be the preaching because that's forbidden. All right, so we're not, dealing with the, we're not dealing with the preaching aspect of it, yet the Word of God does not tell us what it was that they did prophesy here. But I found something fascinating in church history regarding his daughters. They're mentioned in other places. <clears throat> the early, early churches regarded these women as actually in very important sources of information for the early years of the church. Luke, when Paul is arrested, when he goes to Jerusalem and he gets arrested, Luke is traveling with him right now, remember that. Luke is going to come back and actually stay here with Philip for about two years. Alright? Let me quote from a commentator. who's quoting. He's going to quote from earlier uh, uh, people in church history. He said, there was an early church father right up against the early church by the name of Papias. And Papias said that Philip's daughters were commonly known as the informants on the early history of the church. In fact, the historian uh, Eusebius, who is again a very er early church historian, quotes Papias and gives some credence to the fact that these four daughters, uh, um, how they were used. Um, And and in some cases, that they even got the gospel's information as well as information uh, concerning the book of Acts, which Luke would write and Luke would be staying there for two years. And so it's at least a possibility. That is why they're specifically mentioned here by the Holy Spirit of God in this verse as they are mentioned again, in other places throughout church history, has their importance in in giving information about what was taking place. Fascinating. Now, why he's there, let's go back to the book of Acts and read about the prophet that comes into town. Verse 10, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he had Come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owned this girdle and shall so deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And again, And when they heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem again. Just like the case I was making. The prophecy came, suffering is coming, and the conclusion of the believers was, don't go. So let's... Let's dive into Agabus here. This is, of course, not the first time we've come across him in the book of Acts. You also see him in the book of Acts in chapter 11 with Paul and Barnabas ministering there in Antioch about the coming famine that would take place. It was Agabus that gave that prophecy. So now here he comes into Caesarea, and he too lets Paul know you're suffering. He does what was common with prophets to do. He acts out what was coming, getting Paul's garment, his robe, binding himself with it, saying this is what's going to happen. And, uh, um, and and I want you to think about this. My point, my, 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 the name that I've given this point is this. Determination through diversion. Paul's getting told in what it says in every city. Going back to chapter 20. Suffering's coming. Now, his next stop from Caesarea is Jerusalem. And once again, prophet comes in. Suffering's coming. The believer's then trying to tell him, don't go! Listen to me, if you don't have direction with conviction, when these diversions come, you're likely to quit. You're likely to say, you know what? Maybe this isn't God's will. When at one point you knew it. But maybe this just isn't God's will. But Paul had determination. Many would sell out right here if the conviction isn't strong. That's it, I'm done. I have no peace about this. No, you have no peace about paying a price for God's will. It's amazing. The the night before I left for New Guinea, which, by the way, I'm going to get to that when I conclude this, about how I had to know that was God's will. All right? But the night before I got on the plane, I had zero peace. It was nowhere to be found. Were you questioning God's will? Not at all. I had no doubt what I was doing with God's will. But I had zero peace. That was because of my lack of faith, granted. I was scared to death. That's all I was. Looking at my wife and my kids, knowing that I had made the decision to head straight in to New Ireland to the bush. And those of you who got to know me the last eight years, I'm not a camping guy. Have you noticed the full hookups coming out at camp? And now going into live in the bush, oh, I was scared to death. It wasn't peace. Many times when that happens, you, 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 you get clear direction from the Lord, but you don't have the conviction that's coming with it. And so when diversions come, you don't have the determination to make it through it. And all of a sudden in your mind, everything has to change. Listen, distractions and diversions will come. You have to stay determined through them. You know, I got a, I got a piece of advice that the Lord knew we would need from a, a missionary who is now doing a training thing for ABA in, uh, in Florida. Another guy, I, met, I was preaching at a church in Louisiana... And actually, he told me about this guy. I mean, it's all of the Lord's will. He was just a member of this church. And he came up to me after the service. That church had taken us on that night. We had a really good service. He said, listen, there's a man I think you should contact. And he gave me his name, and we met up in Florida. And oh, did I need, little did I know how much I would need this man's advice. Him and his wife sat down with me and Marianne and let us know what it was. He, he was in Kenya. Actually, going to be in New Guinea for 12 years. He was in Kenya for 12 years. And let us know what it was going to be like our first few weeks there. I mean, he went through that thing. And then what he said was this. gave such great advice. He said, listen, he goes, you don't go anywhere for 12 months. You stay right there. He said, you have to ride this portion out. Oh, is that great advice. So we went in ahead of time, already determined, 12 months. Not just saying, that no break, nothing. We don't know what we're going to face. Twelve months. And then arriving there, little did we realize what we were going to face. No power, no water, no way of communicating out, not knowing anybody. But it was never a question of, okay, this clearly isn't God's will. But listen to me, if I did not have direction with conviction, you want to know what happens? I'm gone. I'm gone. Oh, look at all these circumstances. Look at all this. Paul had determination. Why? He knew, he knew, he knew this was the will of God, listen to me, regardless of the cost. Which brings me to the last point. You have to dispose yourself to pay the cost. When it comes to God's will, I mean, you have to be determined. Okay, Lord, this is your will. This is what it's all about. Life is about you. This is the greatest thing I can accomplish. Give me direction, Lord. Give me the conviction with it. Help me to stay on course. And listen, it will take commitment. Now, there's different types of commitment that, that are pseudo commitments. Let me discuss those. There are those who will commit, but it's an incomplete commitment. They never actually give God their all to the Lord. There's something they're holding back. I still remember when I first showed up here at Independent Baptist Church with Pastor Roach sitting in the warehouse, and he'd go through uh, "I surrender all." Remember that? How he would sing it when he was in Bible college, giving that story. "I surrender all, but my gun." Is that how that went? Right? Except my gun. But for many, there's an incomplete commitment to the Lord. You've put your boundaries on. Lord, this area, it's yours. But outside of that, I'm keeping. So there's incomplete. It's a pseudo commitment. Then there's insincere commitment. These are those who like to commit, but they're a phony. Heart's not actually in it, it's fake. And then there's intermittent commitment. You're committed one day, but you don't know about tomorrow. It's just like this. But we see Paul's response. Look at verse 13. In verse 12, they besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean me to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus incredible he tells them please stop that's what he's saying he's saying stop I believe by the wording here that that their pleading was 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 beginning perhaps even to weaken his resolve. He's saying, "Stop! What may you to break my heart? Stop! Don't do this." The pleading it was having an effect. Don't break my heart. I just wonder if there's not hundreds or maybe. Thousands or tens of thousands of people who never accomplish, never finish the objective that God has given them, because of well-meaning family, because of well-meaning friends and loved ones, softening up their determination. Instead of saying what they get to here, let the word, let the will of the Lord be done. But family, oh, it's too risky. There's too many sacrifices. You're never going to be able to endure it. Paul says, listen, stop. Please. You're breaking my heart. Stop. This is the will of the Lord. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ gave me to do. And what Paul said was, I'm ready to pay the cost, whatever it is. I'm ready to be bound. If the Lord requires my life, so be it. Patty sang the song, and I don't know the name of that song, but part of the words were, how you'd rather have Jesus more than anything. It's days like this where you see if that's true or not in your life. I love this story. I read this when I was on debutation to go to New Guinea. I just remember reading this portion of it, and it just grabbed me. The 19th century, this guy was bringing his family, which was fairly uncommon back then, to be honest. I mean, you had the rise of different things taking place in boarding schools and all kinds of crazy stuff, to Fiji. Fiji was brutal at this time. And so he's with his family. They're there, and the captain changes his mind of the vessel that was taken in the Fiji. And the captain, just out of concern for them, says, Listen, listen. I cannot let you off here. I know what's here. And he said, you all will die. And the missionary said to him, he said, sir, we died before we left. You know what that man had? Determination. He had direction with conviction. If you're going to finish the will of God... When you have that direction, you bring with it conviction, determination, disposed to pay the cost. That's how you finish God's will. Paul would not be persuaded. I mean, after all, did not Christ tell us in the Gospels when he instructed his disciples that there will be times you have to forsake everything? Everything. They all said, which I love, which is another huge point to believing Paul was not disobedient. They said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul would not be persuaded. Then they took up their carriages, that's just a word for luggage, all the cargo that they had, headed to Jerusalem. Now, as I finish this, let me go back to... uh, 2001. Alright. January of 2001. Uh, November of 2000 was assistant pastor here at Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage. Um, and I had let Pastor Roach know in 1995 when I joined the church. Now, when I came up here, I had no plans for missions. I knew the Lord was going to put me in ministry. I always thought pastoring in the States. After we joined, though, after we joined, when I was reading the missionary prayer letters, I was going through, they were just on a clipboard in the back. For those old timers, remember that, that clipboard in that back cubbyhole, that's where the missionary letters were. And so we had just joined the church. I grabbed that after or before service, and I was just reading through the letters, and I got to a missionary in New Guinea, and it just grabbed me. I mean, I went back, this is before the internet, you actually had encyclopedias. I got out the encyclopedia and started researching the country of New Guinea. And I actually started praying about it that day. All right. Pastor Roach was over a few weeks later. This is 1995. And we're talking. We just joined. We were excited. I was, uh, uh, you know, he was asking my call into ministry. And we we're getting to know each other a little bit. And I let him know then. I said, I said I'm not saying, Lord, call me to him. I'm just telling you that something was different about that country when I read a prayer letter. Okay. Let's fast forward. Year two, it's 2000, November of 2000, Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage. Missions conference. That missionary's in from New Guinea. We're having dinner at my house. Pastor Roach is there. He is the missionary's there. I am there. Pastor Roach is sitting here. The missionary's here. I'm at the end of the table. We're just talking. And I'll never get Pastor Roach's face. When the missionary said, hey, I have to go back to New Guinea in January. Why don't you come with me? And I said, I'll go. And then bam. He said, can we talk? Yes. And so we got up, (laughs) we left the table, and he said, what's going on? And I said, do you remember the conversation in 95? He said, yes. I said, well, then I'm going to use this time to settle it. Okay? We said, all right. So then he wanted me to announce that that was a possibility before the church. I actually announced before the church that's a possibility that I've been praying about. First time the church knew about it. Okay? I head on the mission trip with him. I hated it. I'm not kidding. I went back into that room, the majority of the nights, on my knees, weeping. Lord, I cannot bring my family here. I cannot. I can't do it. Mm -mm. I mean, arriving there, I saw my first robbery take place before I left the airport. I get back. I was super jet lagged. I'm still... We just landed that afternoon. I'm heading to preach already that day that I just landed... At the general hospital in Port Moresby, pulling in, watching a baby die right in front of me at the at the entranceway, with the mother just wailing, and seeing everything there, and thinking, "Man, I, I can't, I can't come here." I had a lunch with a man while I was there. He was a businessman, Christian, saved member of Heritage Baptist Church. Which, ironically, today, the pastor of that church is a man I, I trained, James Abel. And I had a, I had a a uh, lunch with him. He was from New Ireland. And he made his case. I didn't know where it was. I had no clue. It's a province of New Guinea, if you don't know. And he said, there's nobody there. He goes, w- w- I mean, he he was just... And the whole time I'm having this with him, I mean, God's spirit was just all over me. This is it. This is it. So we exchanged emails. I remember that on a card. We left. It was the only meeting I had it was one lunch. He'd asked, he heard about me there. In the, I was preaching at a couple churches in the capital. So he asked to meet with me for a lunch. And the whole purpose of the lunch was to make his case for New Ireland. I came back, me and Pastor Roach, I flew back in on Monday, me and Pastor Roach met for dinner on Tuesday night at Noisy Goose. I met with him, Whole purpose is, what's going on? I told him, the Lord has not called me. I am not going. We were thrilled. I mean, we were in the new building over in Fairview. I finally have my own little tiny office in there. Church was growing, as you know. We were in the middle of a growth spurt at the time. And I get in the car to leave and a truck, I was heading back to Anchorage for Noisy Goose. And man, the conviction was all over me. I'd said no to that. And it was that day I started praying. I said, Lord, with what you've given me, I can't surrender to go. And I would tell him the same thing. I don't know what you need to do, but I can't surrender to go with just this. You want to know why? It wasn't because I was trying to be rebellious. It wasn't because Lord, I'm not doing this for you, It's because what I knew was this, that if I go there, I cannot have the mind game take place. I will have to know that I know that I know that I know this is what God wants. I would need direction with conviction if I am going to stay there. I knew that. And I don't have time for the rest of the story, but it's amazing how the Lord did just that. I started praying about it every day. The church thought it was a dead issue. We announced at church, I'm not going. Little does the church know the struggle that I am in my heart? I'm praying about it every day, every day, every day. And finally, it was a Monday morning. It was, it was consuming my prayer time. and I was, I was tired, and I told the Lord, I said, please. And I said, sell it by Friday. I put a fleece out there. Um, which I'd never done. I don't recommend that, but I never did that. I, di- I wasn't planning. On it. I did it that morning. It was specific. It was direct, as to answer both ways, not just one way. And it was the specific day that I gave out that Friday. Oh, it happened to the T. Matter of fact, everything involved in it. I was keeping a Bible at the house, and even when it came clear, when I knew, I remember I got up, left my office. And I went and and just complained. I said, Lord, I can't. This isn't me. But I left there knowing I had to get in the Bible. I went back. My Bible wasn't there. It's been with me since I've been 16. Like, where's my Bible? So I had to get in the Word of God. I was just torn. Because now I knew if I say no, I am being disobedient. So I open up Esword, which I still use to this day. As you know, if you have that, a devotional pops up first. I I, I never read it on there. I went to X it out. As I went to hit that X, I stopped. The title of the devotion that day, which I keep in the Bible at at my house, The Compelling Force of the Call. That's the exact title. First line, I'm going to read it to you word for word. Beware of refusing to hear the call of God. He had just answered the, the, the fleece, perfectly. And at that moment, I just stopped. I said, Lord, I'm going. And then he wasn't done yet. Part of the fleeced out with an email, I opened the email from that businessman who had never emailed me before. That was part of it. Only thing he said in his email was, hey, I want to let you know I'm praying for you that you will follow God's direction. I had now had direction with conviction. Do you know how many of my family thought I was crazy for going? How many people in the church thought, oh, that is not Brother McGovern? Little did you realize, I knew that much better than any of you. And then all the battles we faced, but you know what I had? Direction with conviction that led to a a determination through diversion to say, no. I know this is what the Lord wants. Then when everything got easier, sealed road, house done, the Lord calls me back. That was funny. You can, I, I don't know. Paul, knowing he is in God's will as we leave our text, Heads to Jerusalem. And he knows what awaits. How could he do it? He had direction with conviction. Determined to finish the will of God, regardless of diversions and disruptions. And disposed to pay the cost. With heads bowed and eyes,